What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast this week. We have a great episode with Skip Sly. Skip is a returning guest. If you haven't caught some of the other episodes, I encourage you to go back and listen to them and get caught up to date with who he is. But quickly, moved from Michigan, lives in Iowa, very familiar with land, all things land. And we talk about some tips for buying your first farm, how to navigate the current market, and how to find a good real estate agent to help you throughout the process. So I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. We're gonna have him on the Exodus podcast tomorrow to talk about what to do during the summer. So I hope you guys really enjoy that. And before we get into this episode, I'm gonna tell you this, we are doing a giveaway with the folks over at Latitude. We're giving away their Nude Speed Series sticks, Exodus Rival, and that bundle is around $750. All you have to do is head to the link in the description of this podcast and sign up for that. And if you're brand new, this is the first time you've ever tuned in here to the Land Podcast. The goal here is very simple. It's to help 100 people buy their first farm. There's three ways to be included on that list. Number one, if you're in the state of Illinois and I can assist you, I would love to do so. Um, Reach out to me and I'll help you find your first farm and help you navigate the journey of getting something under contract and closed and helping there. Number two, if you just want to get connected with someone I would do business with or someone I would feel confident and at least make an introduction to, I'm happy to do that. There's parts of the country I don't know too many people, but there's other areas where I do know some really great agents. And the third one is if you just simply learn something from the podcast, let me know. And it helps you take action to buy your first farm with confidence or maybe give you a different perspective. Um, had a handful of those roll in the last week or two. And just want to say thanks to everyone that made a point to do so. It helps put fuel in the tank of this podcast. Apologize we missed a week there. I've been running around a lot, but I promise we're gonna get back to regular scheduled programming as promised. And then also Velva Fest is coming right around the corner. If you're not familiar with Velva Fest, that is a campaign we have here at Exodus to help you get ready for the upcoming season, find those bucks during the summer and restock on all the things that are necessary to do so. So be sure to keep an eye out from that. And real quick, I've been using the tool Acres nonstop. It is a, such a great mapping software for anyone that is wanting to learn more about land. It, it saves so much time. I go in and I look, is it in a floodplain? What's the FSA acreage? What's the soil data on that? And look at the historical imagery. It's such an impactful tool. And I encourage you guys to go check that out. That is it for now. Hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. Let's go ahead and get right into it. Here we go. Real quick right here too. We talk about finding a great agent. And I want to add a clarifying statement on the front end of this. I know so many good agents that I would personally trust that inevitably buy some ground and sell some ground, but they maybe do a couple of deals a year, maybe one or two. And I'm not talking about those guys, and this is Skip's perspective on this. So I just want to frame that. And I know I have a lot of other agents that listen to this podcast. Not talking about you guys. I agree with some of the strategies, but we're playing a little bit of devil's advocate. So I just want to frame that before we get to that point. And I hope you guys enjoyed this. Here we go. All right, we're live. Skip, how's it going? Good. Another day at the farm. Another day at the farm. Do you, uh, how many days a year are you here? Probably on a farm, I would say. 300 days a year so the vast majority yeah vast majority and the other days would be vacation family stuff uh weekends with the family a little bit of travel office days um whatever else you could fit in there anything else that has to do with life that'd be the other uh 65 days a year Uh that's a lot that's a a lot lot. i love it though well i think uh, you'd have to yeah if you didn't you wouldn't no doubt no doubt about it yeah. By and choice. So you've been on the Exodus podcast a handful of times, the Land podcast a handful of times. For anyone who hasn't caught those previous episodes, just take a second to introduce yourself so people know who you are. Uh, Skip Sly, I live in Iowa. I farm. I uh, manage my farms for everything from conservation to deer to um, 
just kind of like my my goal in life to have a big parcel of land that I can work on and control and uh, have for my family to pass down for generations. Um, like I said, from Michigan, I uh, came to Iowa, hunted probably a dozen different states across the hun- country. I would say from the age of a teenager going from a city boy to a hardcore hunter, you know, happened late into my teenage years. Um, and being in Michigan, just seeing a degraded resource uh, and just crazy competition to hunt deer and all the problems surrounding it. It was kind of like my lifelong goal as a very young kid, young kid, like 10, 11, 12 years old to to save up and buy for land. So I knew it at a very, very young age. But um, and just one last thing to add before that is like even from the time I was maybe like six years old, I was that kid that was six years old that was always like at the creek like catching frogs and turtles and then you know i'm eight nine and every day my you know my friends and i would take our bikes out of town to creeks and ponds and catch frogs and you know learn how to go fishing and we i was just always like obsessed with nature so obviously like when i got into all this i was not into hunting it wasn't about hunting at all like i'd catch animals and have like um turtles at my house i'd fill our bathtub up with like turtles and frogs and my mom would flip out and um i just really like like animals and nature and i've i've always been very environmental so even before i had a a hunting bone in my body i was very environmental Mm -hmm. you know environmentally conscious and i still am so that's kind of my quick backstory if there's anything you want me to add to it let me know no, I think that's that's very. I think that's very apparent when you go around the farm, when we're looking out the different trees. It's like this is blah blah, blah variety. It drops here, this and then. Like I'm just trying this one for fun. Yep. And you're you're babying these. Uh, I mulch my fruit trees this year, and then I'm looking at your mulch piles. Yeah. And I'm like, holy cow! I'm I gotta step it up. Yeah, I like doing things right. I mean, you know, and I've done things where it's like, you know, I tried to skimp or I tried to do it kind of havesy. And now, you know, like we've talked about today, I just, I like doing things to the maximum, you know, effort and doing things. If, if there was a checklist, do this, this, and this to maximize your, your work. Everything I do is maximize, you know, I don't do anything kind of havesy unless I just run out of time because I have so many projects, which clearly, you know, that is a possibility out here. I do, I do, uh, not reach all the the goals on my farm every year there's certain things that fall through the cracks but but i'm i'm definitely like moderation is not a part of my vocabulary uh-huh. you you probably picked that up today a little more even, even oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> well even uh i mean this is a big track here and then you look at it and i feel like every bit of it has been improved to some capacity every job every every inch we walked it was like trees marked tsi this is here for this reason. This is there for that reason. And to do it at this scale, it is a lot of work. I don't think it's, I don't think people could really understand that. No, no, they, I don't, could, they don't have anything to compare it to. I didn't understand that when I was younger, if I knew somebody with a lot of ground, I, you know, maybe even, even when I was younger, maybe I was a touch jealous. If I'm being totally honest, man, that guy, he's so lucky. You know, I wish I had what he did. I mean, that's, I think that's human nature to have even a little bit of jealousy. And I will admit maybe when I was younger, I fit into that boat. And now, you know, there's people who have more land than me now. I'm not jealous of them. I'm not because I'm appreciative of what I have. And it's not, you know, this isn't a race about competing with other people. But, and and now I understand too, you know, if you were to look at somebody like 
whatever. This is crazy, but like Ted Turner with his whatever he has, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands, you know, there's an immense responsibility that goes along with that. And I can't imagine how many people have to take care of his farms and how many people he's, he employs and and the list of things that goes on on every one of those those ranches. I mean, he has more like ranches, but it's just an immense amount of work. And it's like, you know, I might I do have, a, you know, my dream farm, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's not like, oh, man, this is just a cakewalk. And I just Kick show back up and, and relax. Yeah. And go fish in the pond. <laughs> yeah. No, there's a million things to it that people don't understand that goes on. And and challenges or you know rewarding aspects too but the responsibility load is it's crazy it's 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 nuts that's why i'm here 300 days a year yeah you'd have to be yeah and then so you mentioned i don't know if you've actually said on the podcast your goal is to own a 640 yeah that was my goal as a kid so i can i can i have a very very good long-term memory my short-term memory isn't so good but my long-term memory like I have, I have vivid mem- memories of my childhood like it, it happened yesterday. So I can still remember, like, I was roughly about four, 13, 14 years old, and I was in biology class. And my biology teacher named Ken Morris in uh, in Michigan, Zealand High School, um, he's like, hey, I'm a hunter. I'm a bow hunter. And I, I was just getting into that, and I'm, I'm learning about it. And I said, so what do you hunt? Because he always shot big bucks, what I thought were big bucks. He's like, I hunt a 640. I have a permission on a 640. I'm like, what's a 640? He goes, that's a square mile of land. I go, what's, what do you mean? He goes, so you walk a mile, a mile, a mile, a mile, a mile around it. I'm like, oh my gosh, a square mile, that's a section. So I knew that at like 13 or 14. And I wanted to buy land several years before then, but he was the first person I still remember when he told me what a 640 was. I'm like, that's a square mile. So it's just it's just a, a figure that got imprinted in my head when I was 14 years old or 13. Like, that's what I want to own. I want to own a 640. What does that mean? It means you got to walk a mile, 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 mile around it. You control everything. You're going to grow multiple 200-inch deer every year and just shoot booner after booner after booner. That's success, and that's what I wanted uh-huh. since I was 14 years old. 13, 14, with no money. Did you have... So obviously, I mean, that's a lofty goal when you say that out loud at, at any time, at any age, at any time. Absolutely. Did yeah. And this is this is a kid that's saying this that has maybe a thousand dollars in the bank and his parents don't have any money uh, and he's still in high school. How are you going to get make that happen? Yeah. And I was running the figures back then at 15. Like, OK, this is what I got to do to get there. And, and I didn't think I would get there. So you didn't think that? No, I didn't think so. Why? Uh, I just thought it was too, I, I just ran the figures and I'm like, there's no way. Because I'm like, how am I going to come up with a down payment for that? That's impossible. There's no way I can do that. So it was more like a dream. Like even before then, you know, somebody's like, what do you want to do for a job? I want to play pro baseball. What do you got to do to get there? Well, you got to be amazing. And Clearly, <laughs> I didn't play pro baseball, <laughs> and I, that one hit me in the face pretty easily. Like, dude, you're not going to play pro baseball. What was the same as buying a 640? Hey, dude, you're not really going to get it. Uh-huh. That's that's a, tons of money. Even back then, it was tons of money. So just unachievable, and I, I was like, eh, it's a goal, and it's what I wanted. And I tell like my friends that or my brothers, and I'm like, dude, I want to get a 640 somehow. And then that's how I said it. Somehow, I probably won't get it, but it'd be amazing if we could. And that's what I want to try for. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I, I pursued it. I just thought it was extremely difficult and highly unlikely. Mm-hmm. 
at what point did it become realistic? Like, oh man, I, I can achieve that. And I could even possibly exceed that. When, when I bought my first farm and I realized that I had a unique skill at fixing it up and making it amazing. And then somebody said, I, you know, I really want to have what, what you bought and fixed up and I'm willing to pay you for it and I'm willing to pay you well for it. And then I knew I could go buy another farm that needed to be fixed up and I could repeat that process. Once I know, once I knew it was a repeatable process, I knew I could get there. Mm -hmm. And at that time that was, would you say now that's a popular mindset that I think everyone that has a remote interest in land that crosses their mind at one point. Yes. It was not a popular mindset back then. Yeah. This, this hit me out of the blue. Nobody had talked to me about this before. Nobody had laid that out as a strategy. There wasn't podcasts about it. I don't think there was podcasts that existed. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was just something I stumbled upon just out of pure luck. You know, this isn't skill. This isn't me being smart or dumb or anything. It's not, it's not a talent of mine. It's just I stumbled across it, and I got lucky figuring that out. Mm -hmm. So you did that first 80, and then at what point were you thinking 640 is attainable? Um, right after I sold that 80, and then I turned that into like 315 acres within maybe like a couple years, then I knew. I'm like, oh, we're only three years into this. And I'm halfway there. Uh, and I bought a couple other farms and fixed them up and sold them like two or three years into this or something. Um, I don't know exactly what the figures were, or how many farms I did or when it was. But but really soon into it, I'm like, oh, I, I, I'm good at this. <laughs> and I know how to do it. And, and I'm willing to learn. And I'm going to figure it out. I will figure it out. I mean, sheer determination, mm -hmm. bullheaded determination was definitely a part of this too. Um, but once I got to like 300 and some acres, I'm like, oh, I'm halfway here and I'm 24. I'm going to get there at 24. I knew I would do it. So, yeah. so at 20, you know, before I bought zero. a farm, yeah, zero. I had zero, I had money saved in the bank, uh, or in my investment fund, you know, but I had zero acres at 20 and I thought the chance of owning 640 acres was, was very minimal, very minimal, just small. Um, by the time I was 24, I did a total 180 where I'm like, no, I can do this. I went from no way, I doubt it, highly unlikely to, oh yeah, we're, we're going to get there. And then I'm like, I think I can get there before I'm 30. I'm sure I can get there before I'm 30. And I did. So late 20s. So <laughs> When you achieved that goal, what was your emotions through that? Was it just like, all right, we did it. We're, let's yeah. keep on doing it. This is fun. Yeah. It was, it was definitely, um, it was definitely rewarding. Um, and I was just appreciative, you know, um, we talked a little bit earlier, like, I'm glad, I'm, I'm actually glad that I started with nothing and like, hey, you got a 640 acres because, and I'm, I'm not knocking these people one bit, so don't make, don't take it this way, anybody's listening, but, you know, hey, your uncle died and you got 640 acres, you inherited, that's great if that happens, that wasn't in the cards for me, clearly, I mean, I'm, there's nothing, so I'm glad I started from nothing. And it just made me appreciate it so much more because now even some of my friends are like, well, you know, you, you got your 640 and that's why you shoot big deer and, and, and did it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm blessed. I'm thankful. I'm appreciative. Um, you know, other people helped me along the way too. And with advice, but you know, I, I didn't get anything handed to me and, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm appreciative for the way that it worked out because it kept me, it kept me humble and, and I, you know, I'm, and I'm, I'm just thank, I'm thankful for what I have. 
and there's people with a lot more than me, and I'm not jealous of them. And I, re- I'm, I generally am not. I mean, people are going to shoot bigger deer than me. People are going to own le- better farms than I have. People are going to own more of them, and good for them. I think that's wonderful. And there's, you know, there's going to be people who are struggling to buy their first 40 acres that are, um, you know, are looking at that as insurmountable or, or really hard to do. And, and I want to just say, no, dude, I, I hope you do it. There's a way to do it. And I like to see them succeed too, you know? I, I like seeing other people achieve, achieve their goals, whatever they may be. And owning 640 is not a goal many people would probably have. I don't think there's any <laughs> teenagers. They'd be like, yeah, I want to win this game on my uh, my PlayStation. That's my goal, okay? <laughs> uh, most teenagers, you know, I want to have a nice truck when I, you know, my goal was to own 640 acres. Very weird. It's bizarre. Uh, as far as culture, the society sure. goes. I mean, no, you don't hear that. But that's what I was saying when I was a kid. Um, but other people that want that, like, I think that's great. It, may, it, it like, makes me smile. It's, like, to, to see other people achieve that or to grow and do that stuff. And, you know, now, um, and maybe this would be a little different when I was in my 20s. Um, but now I don't look at other people who buy land as competitors. You're not, I don't ha- have competitors. And some, I, it, technically speaking, maybe I do. But I don't look at them that way because it's like, no, I want I want to see other people succeed, and there's plenty of room for it. There's infinite room for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, not infinite because it is a limited resource to some extent, but um, I like seeing that. And, I mean, all the ground that's privately held, somebody's going to own it, somebody, whether it's a corporation or it's Bill Gates or it's a farmer or it's a guy that wants to improve it. And if it, and my, my outlook on that, real simplistically, and I could go way deeper into this, but my outlook on that is – if more people own land that are going to be environmentally conscious, conserve it, manage it right, manage the resource right, manage the wildlife to a healthier degree than like just Joe Schmo owning it, whoever that is, I think that's great. I think that's better overall. I mean, and where this could go off the rails and turn into an hour discussion that I won't do is, well, aren't you taking away opportunities from somebody else? Every time a hunter buys it, more ground gets locked up. I mean, there's problems with access and so on. But again, private ownership, somebody's going to own it and somebody's going to restrict the access, whether it's, you know, the person that is a farmer that just lets a certain amount of people hunt or no one hunts, you know. So um, for hun- for hunters to buy land and to improve them and to improve everything about them, the whole ecosystem, I think is overall, it's a net positive. It's not without its problems, but it is a net positive. And I like see, seeing people do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about um, some tangible advice for someone that is saving up to buy their first farm? We were talking about car payments, and that's something I talk, I've talked about on here before. <laughs> it's like how to ensure you're never, that you're not going to buy land. All right. So I'll be really opinionated on <laughs> yeah. this one. If you have a $700 truck payment and or 600 whatever the heck it is, and then you're like, yeah. Also, on top of that, it's a hundred bucks for insurance. And then I put two hundred fifty bucks in fuel in it. And by the way, it's going down in value three, four grand a year. And I don't make a ton of money. I make, I kind of live paycheck by t- paycheck. You'll never get ahead. You'll never get ahead. Nine out of ten people, unless you change your ways. Um, the people who get stuck in the truck payments and the boats or whatever you name it, uh, payments on depreciating assets, things that are going down in value. It is so hard to get ahead. It is it is putting unnecessarily financial handcuffs on yourself. And it is crazy. Sell it and drive a piece of junk. And I can't I need something reliable. Okay, drive a piece of junk for six months. And if you were spending five hundred bucks a month or whatever that figure is on a car payment, 
be disciplined and save that so you can spend, you know, for six months. Then I have $5,000 to spend on a car that just gets me around. And that could be replicated into whatever, any material items. Um, don't get yourself wrapped up into heavy payments. Well, I can't afford a house that's 400 grand. I can't afford it. It's a money pit. It's a money pit. The taxes are going to eat you alive. The maintenance is going to eat you alive. The, the house payment's going to eat you alive. Don't do it. All those little pitfalls. Avoid them. Mm-hmm. My opinion. So basically, if you want to buy land, you have to lower, just lower your general expenses to create margin in order to save up for a down payment or be yeah. able to afford for the land. Yeah, and the guys that have to have the new trucks and the and the fancier house and, um, you know, maybe there's some short term gratification from that, and I would say that's generally what it is, and it's a little bit of an image thing or whatever, whatever you want, fill in the blank. And if you enjoy that, great, go for it. I don't care. I'm just saying it it cripples people on their abilities if if they say, well, my dream is also to buy forty acres or whatever, and I can't quite make it happen. That's the guy that it's not going to happen because he's he's handcuffed by his poor financial decisions. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. the facts of it. Yeah, I think I think uh, all the stuff's infor- been going on forever. Yeah, all the information's out there. It's just until uh, yeah. you take responsibility. This, this is nothing. This is nothing like whoa. That's just fantastic advice. It's like the guy that says, "Hey, I want to get in really good shape. Is there a secret to that?" Yeah, I'm going to tell you how to do it. You're going to go to the gym five days a week for an hour each day. And you're going to eat chicken and vegetables and eat right. You're going to work out, and then you're going to do some cardio. You're going to be in really good shape. Really? That's really? it. That's a secret? No, no, no. Everybody knows this. How many people are willing to do it? Yeah. I say <laughs> pretty small portion. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely a discipline thing. Um, so let's talk a little bit. We talked, uh, I don't know, the last time we recorded a podcast, a couple months ago. Sure. Maybe probably April. Yeah, maybe. that sounds right. Um. I just always, you're very in tune with the land market and what's going on, general chatter, your own perspective. Where are we at? Has it changed much? Uh, I wouldn't say it changed much. Um, you know, as much as I do, most of these people, I would say their gut is spot on. If you have a gut on what you think the land market is right now, uh, you're probably right. Um, I, I know there's several perceptions. Some people think it's, it's just a cra- crazy buyer's market because the interest rates went up, way up. And they, they're going to be able to pick off steals. And that's just not happening because the inventory is so low. So I think some of those people are facing reality there. The inventory is tight. Um, if I was a new land, owner, a land buyer, I probably would be patient right now. I, I would. Um, would you suggest to find something that has some sort of income? I would. Likely? Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would buy something that that's, has more income and that is um, – or – it would be hunting that's just affordable that you know at no point are you going to get yourself into a stressful financial situation by owning it. So if you found the right hunting track that has very little income, just understand that things could get tough and just really stress test your thinking on your job, your payments. If something went sideways, can you weather that storm? Because there's going to be a storm. Uh, how bad that storm is, who, who the heck knows? But there will be a storm. And just be uh, ready to weather the storm. And any given storm we've ever had, you know, the, the bad storms, less people make it. The lighter storms, you know, more people make it. But there's always a portion that gets wiped out by a storm. So it's just... How know. long do you think someone needs to be prepared to batten the hatches? I've never seen it go really more than... I can't think of a time where it went really more than about two years. A two-year time frame, I, I feel pretty safe. Uh-huh. 
Um, I would just say, okay, if it's two, then I'm going to, but I'm going to have a plan thought out. If, if things got three years nasty, do I have a way to get out of that or, uh, a way to weather that storm? And if you can answer that question comfortably and reasonably and be resourceful enough to figure it out, you'll be just fine. Absolutely. Just fine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and some people are, you know, you got, you kind of have to have the bullheaded, all right. Things, if things get tight, I'm going to come up with something. I'm going to come up with six ideas and just pound them out, and I'm going to work myself extra to come up. The, most people are, if you're ambitious, you're just resourceful enough to be like, I'll figure it out. But don't just go into that as the plan, like, geez, I don't know how I'm going to come up with that payment. It's so high. I'll just figure it out. Oh, my gosh. That's so tough. don't do that. <laughs> yeah, there's a threshold you know yeah. in your gut. Yeah. Um. But just have like a worst case scenario. This is how I'm going to fix it. And and if you have that, then you will fix it. That's why I've seen them. I've seen five, six, seven different storms. Some of them, somebody be like, oh, it's not. We've never had a storm since the 1980 uh, farm crisis. We've had plenty of storms. We've had some bad storms. People just don't realize it. But we have. And I've seen them. And I've seen people have to. I've seen people not make it through those storms. So there will be more. What's the common theme of the people that don't make it? And your just just your general perspective, they they pay that that primo wacko price. It's like, oh my gosh, that was not well thought out. Yeah, that price will make sense in about seven, eight, ten more years. That price might make sense. They just pay crazy prices over what they should, and you know, and then they leverage themselves pretty hard. Uh, so hey, I bought this farm. I pay you know the markets, whatever. I'm just making figures up, but. The market is generally five, but this thing was so sweet, man. It was so sweet. So I paid 6700 bucks for it when the market was five. And, you know, it's got about a 1% ROI, but it's got big deer on it. doesn't have any logs I could sell. Just it's brushy, but it's got big deer. And I'm going to pay for it because I've got a good job. Um, and my wife makes a good income too, so we can make that pretty hefty payment. Pretty hefty. And then all of a sudden that guy says, hey, I lost my job. And my wife's leaving me, or whatever. I mean, sometimes <laughs> it's both. That's tough. That's a country song. I've right seen, there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've seen both. I've seen one or the other. We'll make that guy sell the land. Yeah, I lost my job. My business went under. My wife left me. I left my wife. I left my husband. Uh, I, I don't. <laughs> no, uh, all those, all those reasons. So, um. And then, and you know, things tighten up and they're like, now I have to sell, dude, I have to sell it. And then they take losses, you know? I mean, if the guy paid 6,700 bucks and that made up example, I've seen it where, you know, he sells it for 54. This is a made up example, mm -hmm. but that's like very realistic. Mm -hmm. That figure is very realistic. And there's a lot of guys that are paying, I'll just use that figure. They're paying $6,700 today and there's going to be a few guys not like everybody, not half, but there's going to be a few guys that get themselves into a pickle. Like three out of 100? Yeah, who knows? It depends how bad the storm gets. Mm -hmm. Depends how bad it gets. If interest rates get to 10% and then the economy goes off a cliff, if you say it was three out of 100, now it'll be 15 out of 100. Mm -hmm. How bad does the storm get? I have no clue. But, you know, if all the factors come into play and things get nasty, yeah, it's going to be 15 out of 100. If it's a mild storm, it could be three out of a hundred. But there's there will be some people. It will the, the the number won't be zero. Sure, it won't be zero, and it won't be like well half got wiped out. It's not gonna happen. I mean, could it? Sure, but 
But understand that. It won't be zero, and it's not going to be half. It's going to be somewhere in there. Where it is, I don't know. But there will be things that happen. Um, so, yeah, just just be prepared for it. Don't dwell on it. Definitely don't dwell on it. Don't yeah. don't let that paralyze you to not buy a farm either. Say, yeah. Two years. Because I think even, if you're going to buy a farm, don't let, and I said this on the last one, yeah. don't don't let it go past two years. Yeah, I think that's, I'm glad you kind of draw a hard, hard line in the sand there. Because I even think, I mean, you've, you've kind of portrayed the, a perception that things may slow up for a while now. Yeah, but, but I, and, and I, I keep getting surprised. Yeah, and, but I'm, I'm wrong. What I'm trying to share is when rates were three or four percent, someone could have like, let's say they wanted to afford that, but they were going to sit and wait to buy something. This guy's going to finance ground. Yep. So that same guy from two years ago is now shopping with whatever it is, eight, seven percent interest rate. Mm-hmm. He just lost like half of his purchasing power. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Don't get caught up in that. It's true. Everything you say is true. I agree with it a hundred percent. But just for John, just keep keep the same plan. Maybe you slightly adjust your math and say, you know what, I can afford a little bit less uh, less acres, or I need to buy something with a little higher income to kind of kind of split the difference. Sure, don't let it paralyze you. Definitely don't let it stop you. Um, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be like, you know, I'll just live with double the payments and the same amount of income and the same size of ground. And I can hardly afford that payment. Okay. There's a threshold. Clearly we know you'll know in your gut if you cross it, but you know, I would, I would just fundamentally say this, don't let it change the, the, um, the base plan of, I need to buy land and, or I want to buy land and I am going to buy land, do it, make it happen. Mm -hmm. And don't let it go past two years. So tomorrow, if you find a good deal, buy it. If so, it's two years from now, buy it. Don't let it go past that. Is it a viable thought process to think, okay, I'm going to buy this at, let's say, 8% interest rate, and I'm buying it on a five-year arm loan, and I think rates would probably get back down to 5 or 6%. I think they will. So is that a viable plan yes. of like, okay, I can weather the storm. Yeah, I can weather the storm for a year and a half, two years. Yes. But I'm also gambling that rates are going to decrease in that time frame too, and that might be an added bonus. And I'm going to ramble just a little bit longer, too. I think uh, with some of these people, too, when they're looking at... I think a lot of people buy these... Buy farms, let's say, with a 30-year fixed rate. Yep. They're never going to own that farm for 30 years. Correct. But they're paying a premium for the 30-year fixed rate. Do you have yeah. any... Do you have any... Yeah. I mean, I think I would never go below five for anybody. That's just my personal opinion. I wouldn't get, like, a one-year arm. You know, sure, I, I yeah. Don't, I don't know if they even exist. Or they two do years. a lot of threes. Okay, a lot of threes. You know, five years, I'm, I'm generally comfortable on anything within five years. If you're an ambitious person and you've thought this through and you're like, this isn't the farm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep fine. But there is a point where, you know, you could run the math with your bank. And I remember doing this when I was younger, like, okay, what's the, what's a 10-year lock? Uh, it's 5%. What's a, what's a three-year lock? Uh, it's 4-7. Okay, just get the 5% lock. It's a little more. But it, you it's know, just insurance. in case, yeah. If it's my, if it's a minor difference, lock it longer. If it's a huge difference, if it's like, a point and a half, two, yeah, two points. absolutely. Yeah. And but as long as you're not going under five years, as a general rule, I wouldn't get a three year arm. I'd get a five year arm. And there's a lot of people who got three year arms that that's going to be coming up, and they're like, "Oops, I was locked in at three seven. That's going to suck for some people. Yeah, that's well, really gonna what's suck. that going to do? And those people are coming up real soon here. So <laughs> you think about that. There's a lot of people who are like, yeah, I was in at three seven. My ground is one percent ROI, maybe two. 
My payment and was fifteen hundred. Now it's gonna go to twenty seven hundred. Bingo. I need to sell. I don't wanna sell. I need to sell. I have to sell. And those farms will come on the market. Yeah. And if these people are smart and they know that's coming and they know they can't afford it right now and the market's tight, there's very little inventory right now. Those are the people that should be listing their farms right now. Yeah. Right now. Before a storm comes. Hundred percent. Yeah. I, it's always interesting to how dynamic it is. And then I think people can always make an excuse not to buy. Oh, yeah. And no matter, like the the illustration of the low interest rates, well, I think it's going to go down. Yeah. But oh, then oh, the, two years, two and a half years pass by. And now it's like, I can't, I'm not going to buy it. Interest rates are oh, too high. Oh, yeah. The people who find reasons not to buy, hey, guess what? They lowered the interest rate to negative one. You're going to get paid to borrow money. <laughs> and the ground's 500 bucks an acre. Uh, and the income on it is $400 an acre. Well, it means I got to pay property taxes. And <laughs> they'll find reasons there. I mean, I'm I'm crazy made up yeah. uh, non-existent example, but I just find re- people that find reasons not to buy ground like they're searching for reasons. And then, and then clearly you get to the more realistic parts of it where just everything kind of has a hole in it. And I think, I, you know, they're big talkers. Um, and they're almost ready to pull the trigger on this one. I had second thoughts. I really want to buy it. I got, let, let me talk it over with my wife. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and then it just never happens. Uh-huh. So yeah, that happened. That's common. I'd say that's the majority. Do you, so this is just my perspective on it too. I think most land buyers biggest enemy is themselves. They don't want to give themselves permission to actually do it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you can see that replicated all over where people self-destruct and self-sabotage in certain areas and I don't know, some people can't handle successful things and I'm not I'm not talking about myself whatsoever like I'm successful or not successful. I'm just saying people people in general, I think uh can't handle it a lot of times. And they just I don't know. I don't know, it's just too much for them. Self self-sabotage and just self-limiting. Um I don't know what it is. I mean, it's hard for me to understand it because I'm I'm not wired that way. I'm wired. I want to go and I want to accomplish things. But I see it a lot. I see it a lot, and that's the majority of people. And um, not the majority of people, but I would say the vast majority of people are not people that are suited to buy land. Why is that? Um, just because I mean, there's so many there's so many responsibilities with it, and so many people get are complacent and they're like, no, I think the stock market's more comfortable. You know, I don't have any responsibilities. I like living in the city better. It's cushy. Um, it's why, it's why these, these kids that grew up in rural areas that their families farm, why did they move to the cities? Uh, it's just cushier. It's easier. It's less risky. Um, I don't know. There's just a lot of, and there's, there's headaches with owning land too. Like some people are like, I, I have buddies that are like, I just love going on hunts. I just like seeing different places. I don't want to hunt the same place over and over and over or something like that. Or I don't like doing the work. I just like hunting. Okay. Then the maybe land isn't for you or whatever. I mean, clearly I would say the vast majority listen to this right now. Land is for them, but you know, so I'm not talking to, to the people listening. I'm talking just about society in general, you know? I mean, if you ran the math and people in Iowa, how many people own land in Iowa other than a house? Like, yeah, I own a house and a third of an acre. I mean, I got, I'll i bet you it's single-digit percentages. I ran the numbers for the county I live in because I'm a real, real goofball like that. <laughs> so the, uh, the percentage of people that 
in the county I lived in, only 2% of the population owned more than 40 acres. Okay, there you go. So I ran the numbers. Yeah, there you go. You did it. So, <laughs> so th- it was in the single so, digits. Very there low. you go. But how many people could buy land if they wanted it? A lot. Way more, yeah. A lot. I mean, anybody that can afford a car payment could own some form of land. 15 acres, 10 acres, 20 yeah, acres. Yeah, right, right. And they don't. So that just tells me, by definition, very simplistically, that you know, land ownership isn't for a lot of people. And that's fine. I kind of like it that way. Yeah. I like that. I mean, <laughs> I like the right people owning land that are going to take care of it. And a lot of people don't know how to take care of it. A lot of people wouldn't know how to, to tend to a garden, and they'd ruin things. You know, it's like me fixing up a house. If I built a house, it'd fall over. I'm not the right guy to build houses, just like some people aren't the right people to own land. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I got to cheat with my notes here. Oh, we can talk about this. <laughs> All right. Hit me. Uh, but I, we bought a farm in Iowa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to premise this right now because we this was on the 100th episode podcast about agents buying land. Yep. I bought it out of state. Yep. I'm not licensed in Iowa. Correct. I don't plan on getting licensed in Iowa. Right. And so I just want to premise it with that because I don't want to have this, the stigma of buying and selling a bunch of farms because yeah. I plan on doing business for a super long time and I don't want to jeopardize any one deal for many things in the future. I so, think that's a very wise stance you are taking. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard, and I I do I truly feel that real estate agents do sometimes have an unfair advantage in yeah, getting the the first track on something. There's a threshold, and there is a uh, a problem with the real estate market with some of the things that go on, and and like we talked about before this, while we were just loosely chatting about this, there's a threshold. There's a you know there's this kind of a line in there that I know when I see it, you know when you see it. You know, and we were talking earlier, like, is it wrong if somebody did buy a farm and fix it up and sell it that's a realtor? No. And would I deal with somebody that does that? Yeah, I still would. But there's there's a line in there where I'm like, no, I'm I'm not I'm not doing that. So what expand what, on that as much as you want. Can you quantify what that because if I were to buy something in Illinois, it's because I really like it and I really want to buy it. Yep. And I would try to buy it when it's I would not try to buy it. Hey, you're buying it to probably keep it. Yeah, or enjoy it that, for a longer time. It might be five years, but it's not six months. As a non-realtor land buyer, that I would work with you every bit, every time. That does not bother me one bit. And if you said I own a couple farms and I own them to keep, that would make you probably, to me, it would make you more attractive as a land agent because I'm like, okay, he understands all the dynamics of land ownership. He kind of has a better understanding of timber and and farming and rent and and the problems with it or and the pluses and he probably has a better grasp of the neighborhood and what that would also tell me is that you believe in real estate you know it's like the real estate agent that's selling houses and then goes home to their apartment yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, you're trying to talk me into spending all this on a farm and uh you know you don't you haven't bought a drop of it huh it'd be kind of odd to me It'd be like if I talked to a guy that was a stock investor and he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to buy any of these things I'm telling you to buy. Uh-huh. So I think that's a plus that you own land. Now, the threshold is this. If I'm dealing with a realtor that is buying the same things I am and he's buying them and fixing them up and selling them later, I'm not going to deal with that guy. I won't. I, I mean... Listen, it is your job to help me as a buyer um, or, or anybody I know as a buyer to find good pieces for them. And if, even if it's a farm that needs a lot of work and um, 
you know, there's people that are asking, hey, could you find me a farm that I could I could spend a couple years working on and fix it up and maybe make it worth a little more money? You're you're you signed up to represent buyers. You didn't really sign up to represent yourself and to compete with all your buyers. And there's a threshold in there that becomes distasteful and and borderline unethical, in my opinion. Um, I mean, I really do think there is a certain level where it is unethical. And it's just like, you know, and then what do I do about it? I just don't deal with that person, which is my right. And they can say, well, it's, you know, I'm legally allowed to do this. Okay, that's fine. Cool. And I'm not, I don't have any ill will towards them. I'm just, I won't work with them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. What's that threshold to you? Is that like five farms a year type type guy? Yeah, if, if, if I was dealing with a realtor that was buying five farms and selling five farms and he was flipping, that's more, I, I mean, I don't flip farms. I'll, I'll buy farms occasionally, fix them up, hold them for oftentimes several years, and I'm putting massive amounts of work in them. I mean, if, if he's just doing that all, you know, rapid pace, that tells me he's, He's buying stuff under market, which kind of raises some eyebrows. You know, him being a licensed realtor, buying things under market. Um, that right there, there's I could probably talk a lot more, and I'll, I'll I'll shorten this up. But there's some problems with that. Realtors who are consistently buying stuff under market value. That's problematic, and it raises some ethical questions on its face. Um, but if he's doing five a year, absolutely, he's in the wrong business. That my recommendation is not. My recommendation is hang it up, dude. Yeah. Hang it up. And guess what? The reality is, um, it doesn't matter what I think, right? I won't. I won't deal with that person. There's going to be enough other people that won't deal with that person too, and eventually they're going to burn enough bridges. And I've seen people do this, uh, where they do that and they're no longer realtors. They don't make it. You know, if you're not thinking about a five and a ten year plan of doing real estate. And you're just saying, well, I can make money, you know, buying these five farms a year and selling them. <laughs> not even by your choice, you probably <laughs> will not be a realtor later. Mm-hmm. And you will probably, and some of these people are in good enough markets where there's enough new people coming to those markets where they can weather it and they still have new customers. They could, my argument would be they could have made a lot more money uh, as a realtor um, with their commissions had they done it correctly. Uh, I, I just think they're shooting themselves in the foot, I, you know, and they should just hang it up and become a guy that buys land and sells land and they're not a realtor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. it is. It is tough because I, I love land and uh, my problems. I fall in love with every piece I walk <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's like, oh, man, you can do this, 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 this. And it's like, well, that's not my job right now. Your job is to help buyers find the right farms for them. And when you deviate from that, the market will figure itself out and you will get forced out or um, you will hang it up because you're not in the right field then. And right now it's um, the last three years have been everybody makes money. Good people make money. Bad people make money. Lazy realtors make money. Ambitious realtors make money. Everybody's happy. Well, there's going to be a time when things tighten up. And a lot of those people of a lot of different categories of realtors will get weeded out and they'll go bye-bye. I've seen that that over cycle and over. over and over and over. Yeah. There was a, just a stat 60,000 licensed agents across the country have left the industry. Wow. This year, 60,000. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> no, I, it doesn't make any difference to me. That's interesting, though. Yeah. I wonder how many came into the market. That was the same question I had. What's the answer? I don't know. It wasn't on, it wasn't on the, the headline. <laughs> I didn't read the full article, but it made a good headline. Sixty. It makes it sound like a... Everything is melting down. But I, yeah. I don't know. I'm sure it's net negative for sure. Okay. Interesting. 
Yeah, I remember three years ago being like, oh my gosh, it was a new realtor. It was like um, it was like that movie Gremlins where they get wet and they multiply <laughs> uh-huh. and Stripe jumps into the pool. It was like that. There was like new realtors popping up like Gremlins. They were everywhere. Uh-huh. And I think that slowed a little bit. Yeah. And I and I I this has gone on forever. Like new realtor young thinks it's gonna be easy and it's like a lot more to it than what you realize and eh, it's just not for me. Mm-hmm. But that, I guess that's with any career. Yeah, any, yeah, for sure. Any sales position, for sure. Um, before we talk about the Iowa farm, though, I guess when you're getting ready to list a farm, this is some advice for someone that is looking to list their farm and have a competent, qualified agent. What are some things that you look for? And I know you deal with a bunch of different agents, too. Yeah, I um, I do try and stay friendly with a lot of different agents just because, um, you know, I, I can't I just with what I do, I can't just rely on one. I just can't. Um, and you know i'll work with a variety of people uh i have to know they're fundamentally driven and ambitious and that's just a gut thing that's just an experience thing um i want somebody who's really ambitious uh and that's just a cliche fluff statement but it's still something i really just i have a gut sense about um just really ambitious quality marketing uh, quality, integrity, human being. Um, I'm not saying I'm looking for perfection, but if, you know, if, if I got the vibe that somebody's just a straight up slime ball, uh, I I won't deal with them. Even if somebody's like, well, they can get you top dollar. I I won't deal with them. I just, I just avoid people who are unethical. Um, or I'm not comfortable with their personality or how they do things or their business. So ambitious, uh, I see a lot of realtors get comfy. Uh, business will come to me. I just throw the listing out there. I let the other realtors come to me. I'll probably get both sides of the commission. If other realtor, oh, here's a big one. There is realtors who will play shenanigans where they want to get both sides of the commission, and they really won't show offers from other realtors. And I kind of figure oh, those. Geez. Yeah, I figure that out. And I don't like dealing with that. I, I don't. That's not okay with me either. Um, that happens quite a bit. I've never, well, knowingly, I've never experienced yeah, that. As it ha- a, it as happens a- and nobody knows about it. Uh-huh. That's the thing. Um, because it has to be done very quietly. But what, what'll happen is, is, you know, and I've had it where another realtor represented me and they're like, hey, we're submitting your offer to this realtor. I'm not hearing back. And he keeps giving me excuses. He's on vacation. And I know he's just waiting for this other buyer to come through mm-hmm. so he can get both sides of the mm-hmm. commission. I take that back. I have heard. I was not involved in it, but I did hear that oh, yeah. verbatim. Example. And it just happens more than what anybody would realize, uh, which, you know, it's nothing to get bent out of shape about or, you know, to freak out about. Um, it's just a reality you need to know does happen. And I don't deal. I won't deal with those people. And I had one guy um, that did that and I was able to prove that he did that and he wasn't showing my offer. And then finally, at the end, he was taking my offer and showing it to another buyer and saying, beat this. And, you know, it all got confirmed in the end. And I'm like, all right, that's a one time in my whole life, my whole life. So I've done a lot of transactions and that's, you know, 90 percent of more positive experiences. That one was not positive. And that's the one time I'm like, I'm making a complaint to the real estate commission on this guy. I'm not that guy. Is he still around? Uh, he is. And he had his wife like be a broker or something because so, I think he got so much heat. And he, I think he almost lost his license. The real estate board said something like he's got, I don't know. I thought it was <laughs> kind of silly, but 
he got he got two strikes and one more and he's out and I'm like okay that's fine whatever I just want to document it and I'll never do business with that guy again and he called me one time on something I'm like listen in a very nice way I had a smile on my face but I'm like if you're if you have something for sale and it's half market value and you're gonna you're gonna do the business with it I won't buy it <laughs> I don't care if it's half price I will not do business with you oh man. I don't wish any ill will on the guy, but I just won't do business with that person ever again. Yeah. And that, that's, like I said, that's a, a fraction of my experience. You know, tiny, tiny fraction. Yeah, so do you sit there and focus on the negatives? I shouldn't even have brought this up because it's <laughs> People like to hear the negatives. Yeah, they do. So that's just <laughs> entertainment. So take it for that. Yeah. It's entertainment value, and it's a small word of caution. 90% of my experiences have been fundamentally positive. Um, I love what I do. I love the real estate stuff. I mean, I love owning my farms. And now, you know, I'm later in my land owning endeavors and I don't need to worry about this stuff anymore. So it's probably more positive for me the older I get. And the less I'm like, I don't care about competition. I don't care about other buyers. I don't under, I don't care if I get a deal or if I don't get a deal. I, I generally just don't care. You think that's an advantage? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I don't have to, you know, I don't get stressed out if I lose something. And I don't I don't increase my price just because I'm, you know, I get anxious or feel like I need to just get a little a little overpriced on things just because I need to get it. I just don't care. Mm-hmm. And it allows me to just walk away from iffy deals. And every time I walk away from an iffy deal, that, and I wanted, I wanted a good deal. I don't need a steal. I just like, hey, that's a good solid buy. And that it turned into iffy, like eh, kind of good. Every time I walk away from eh, it's kind of good, but it's not good. I, I can replace it with a deal that is good every time. Mm-hmm. Every time. It is a patience thing. It's a patience thing. It's patience, and I, I generally just don't care anymore. <laughs> I don't care. Ugh, that's funny. Um, so talk a little bit about Lamoni. Okay, so we found a piece, and this is kind of a, I don't know, you can describe it as much as you want, kind of a learning experience, a fun little project. Um, We found a piece uh, in Decatur County, Iowa, right off the interstate that a family wanted to just unload. Um, It was a group of older kids, I think 50s or 60s or something, that lived out of state, and they just said, listen, we want to move quick, we want to move this piece. And we got a fair a fair price on a really good farm. Just a, a good fair price. It wasn't a steal. It was just a good fair price. Um, it needed a lot of projects done. We're working on those right now. Um, and it's uh, 158 acres. Call it a 160. Call it a 160. Uh, we could put 180 more or less then, right? <laughs> Way less, but more yeah. Like, <laughs> hey, we said more or less. Uh, so it's 158. It's got about uh when we get done with it because right now I think the pond on it is about seven acres, and the, we looked at all the specs on the spillway that how the dam was built, and we actually extended the drainage pipe so it'll be about eight and a half acres now, um and then did a lot of work to the pond, uh got half of it into production that was in pasture before yeah over and fifty put, acres of row crops now yeah fifty acres of row crops. And we spent a ton of there was a lot there was a lot of money spent on fertilizer, like in the hundreds of dollars <laughs> per acre to yep. really build it up and to actually improve it. Drilled beans on that. And then the other half is CRP. 
Um, it's like 73 acres, I think. 73, yeah, 73 acres of CRP, and it's, I don't know, right around 10,000-ish. Yeah. So I think it's something like, you'd know this as well as I do, like 20,000 in income. Uh, so 20,000 in income, the CSRs on it, this is something that's overlooked. The, the corn suitability rating, how good the soil is. I think it was in like the 50s or something new, like that. The new row crop is in the 50s. Yeah, yeah. in the 50s. Like 50, so 55, considerably better than average, better than the county average by a good bit. And then the key to this farm is, I think it's like one mile off the interstate. It's And then it has interstate. It's Part of it is bordered by the interstate, the part with the CRP. And then it's right off the exit. So in you get you get to the other side of it and you're maybe a mile away from the interstate so it's actually pretty secluded but it's very convenient to get on the interstate and you're right in between des moines kansas city so very convenient and then the town of lamoni is like three miles away now the fundamentals of this farm are you know if you want to go there and have a place to build a home you'd have an eight acre lake called a lake, we can call it a lake. Uh, behind there. You'd have $20,000 in income. The long-term investment value of this land being where it is, is exceptional. I mean, buying st stuff that is that close to an interstate exit that has a gas station a half mile down the road, a convenience store across the street and two miles from town, and there's a college in this town is exceptionally good. It's a good long-term investment. It really is. So, um, you know, the deer hunting on this, I would say, is mediocre. Yeah. If you're a hardcore deer hunter, it's not, it wouldn't be the farm you'd want to buy. Uh, could you shoot a mature buck every year done correctly? Yeah, you could. And, you know, we were talking to people down there and they're like, yeah, they were explaining the deer and mm -hmm. there's some giants down there. It's just, if you're like, man, I want to buy a deer hunting farm. And no, hunt, this hunt isn't there it. five days a week. It's yeah, not no, be, no. Yeah. But occasionally pop around and, hey, I put a, a food plot here. Could you shoot a mature buck Which we're putting there? in, we're putting at least one good food plot location. Yep. You could shoot a mature buck there done correctly every year. Now, with the CRP on it, if somebody said, hey, I want to hunt there a few times a year for deer. And then I want to bring some buddies down and I want to really set this up for pheasant hunting and quail. You could, you could do really, really well with like upland. And if you're like, okay, there's an eight acre pond. I like to duck hunt or goose hunt or something. I don't, um, you know, could I do some waterfowl hunting? Absolutely. Could you catch bomber bass and giant crappies We've been out of told, there? That's been the most consistent thing. Oh, there's yeah. ginormous crappie in there. Ginormous yeah. bluegill. There's big, there's big bass in there. Yeah, we already got hounded. Please, can I deer hunt there? There's a bomber out there that we didn't get last yeah. year. We missed him, and he's a giant. His tines are this long. <laughs> yeah. And we and went, nah, we're, you know, sorry. Sorry about that, but no. And, yeah, I, I caught giant fish out of there. It's got crappies that look like this. No, sorry, can't do that. So, you know. Very nice people, though. Yes, very nice. You know, water, electric, so somebody could put a house there. Somebody could subdivide it if they want to, and they could make a lot of money off this. And that's just something we didn't want to do. I mean, as of now, at least. And I, I've never really segmented up a farm. Um, if I have, I mean, just for very, like, needed Specific, reasons. Yeah. yeah, but usually I'm the one trying to put things together. Um, so, yeah, uh, we're fixing this up. You know, we're putting the work into it. We're using a lot of expensive machinery, and we're putting – pretty sizable the, months the of before hunting. and after picture of the lake huge is, it is a stark difference when i was talking uh to the neighbor yesterday i was like where what part of the pond or lake did you like fishing the most he's like well 
we used to fish there because that was the only place we could walk around. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's way more accessible. Uh, it's going to be a lot easier to enjoy as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, um, so it would be a really good, and you know what we, okay, so we got a lot of time into it. We've got a lot of money fixing up. I mean, we'll make a little money. It's not obscene amounts of money. It's not life-changing money. We'll make a little money on it, but it's it's kind of like the guy that buys a house that needs to be gutted and needs to be updated and he makes a little bit and you're like, but you did put a lot of time into it too. And well, yeah, I paid myself 25 bucks an hour for my time. And it's not like these people are killing it, but whoever buys this is going to buy it at a price that is fair. Yeah, it's fair. And I would almost say not almost a 100%. If you hold this farm for a reasonable period of time, three years, five years, 10 years, it's a fantastic investment. I mean, that town is growing. There's new buildings popping up. It's right off an interstate exit. That's an excellent piece to buy. And like for the price per acre, I mean, it's very reasonable. Very reasonable. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And that twenty thousand dollars of income, we talk about offsetting interest rates too. Yeah. That that helps a lot. I ran the numbers on it at the full size and I'm looking at the cost of it. I'm like, man, this is- that income really does go a long way. It's a big difference because long I way. see a lot of a lot of 160 acre tracks. The guys are like, "Yeah, it's got five grand in income." It says twenty. That's mm-hmm. a big deal, and it might not be a big deal today when everybody's like, "Well, I got money was raining on me a couple years ago," and there's still money floating around and there's 1031s. But when things lean up a little bit, somebody's going to go, "Oh my goodness, I am so thankful I have a piece of ground that throws out 20 grand." Yeah. Huge difference. We'll talk a little bit up too about where the CRP is too now, and that expires twenty thirty of what you yep. can do afterwards. Yeah, so it's um, uh, it's tiled and terraced. So if somebody did want to put that into production, they could. And then the other thing about all the fencing, uh, the fencing, the tile and terrace. I mean, there's probably I'm making this up. Don't hold me to it, but there's probably a hundred thousand dollars worth of depreciation to have uh, have out there that will work as a tax advantage for somebody. So, you know, you can depreciate all that stuff and anybody that files, files a, a schedule F, you know, anything or, or however they have their investment set up, you can ask your accountant about this, but everybody can depreciate that. So, you know, if there's a hundred grand worth of tile, terrace, fencing, whatever, you can depreciate that over whatever period you want to do or decide to do with your accountant. I mean, that's a big deal. That's going to yeah. save a person a pile of money. Mm-hmm. So the income plus a depreciation and then the long-term investment value where it's going to appreciate. It, it is going to appreciate long-term. It's it's a no-brainer on a lot of levels. Um, well, why don't you keep it? Well, I mean, I have a farm down the road that occupies a lot of my time, <laughs> and I'll, I'm buying one of the neighbors. So, uh, yeah. Well, we can talk about that. So if anyone's interested in that or wants to get more information, they can reach out and we'll send up whatever they want to know about it. Um, yep. But find the neighbors. Yeah. What an art form. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. I mean, I, this is a question as a real estate professional. I get this all the time. People just asking, well, how would you go about it? How would, what, how do you handle that conversation? Because in reality, it is kind of a delicate conversation that you get to have one, you can have that conversation for the first time only once. Yep. So I think it's important with how you handle it first off. So just share how okay. how do you buy your Here's what you do. Like a pro. Here's what you do. Go ask 10 people that own land that have bought their neighbor's farm, ask them what they did. 
and have them give their answer, which I'm going to give you. Mm-hmm. But don't just take my answer. Go ask 10 other people on top of this. So my approach is to go introduce yourself to the neighbor. So let's just say you're, you're, you want to buy it now, though. Let's just have that discussion. Because if I'm like, they've got uh, a huge piece of land next to me that I can't afford right now. Now I just want to go introduce myself. Hi, want you to introduce myself. I'm taking great care of the land. I'm going to be a great neighbor and just become friends with them, you know, get to know them because you can't afford to pull the trigger and probably don't bring up land. I mean, I'd casually maybe mention what, what's your, uh, do you have kids that are going to get involved someday or, you know, what, what's your long-term plans with the ground? Maybe loose comments like that if you're not in a position to buy it. So that kind of checks that box off. Hopefully just get friendly terms, make sure you have all their contact information. You stay in touch check in with them once a year, twice a year, however often you want, and become friends with them. So they know that when they decide to sell, they're going to talk to you about it. Now, the people you want to buy their ground now or soon, um, I would, you know, I will just somehow say, uh, you know, my question, I will go meet with somebody if it's face-to-face or over the phone. I will instantly gauge their mood. If they are in a bad mood, or You're they, not even having that conversation. I am not having that conversation. And I will go revisit them another time. So if they're in a receptive mood, and, and I will only do it also if the conversation feels like it naturally flows there. And sometimes I'll come, like, be talking about something random that hopefully is genuine and interesting. And I'll say, hey, I did want to mention something to you. I mean, this is generically how I say it. I'm like, hey, I did want to mention something to you. Um, I was just curious know is there um is there ever a point you know you would ever consider selling this farm or you know maybe tell me a little bit more about what the the future you know holds for you with owning this farm and just see what they say you know um that's just a per that's going to be a personality issue some guys might they're going to word it how you're going to word it how you word it some guys might go up be like um hey i i just want to let you know you know, you're handling it delicately. You're not being pushy, right? I just want to let you know, if, if you ever did decide to sell this farm or, it, you know, it ever did go through your head, um, I, I really would love the opportunity to discuss it more with you or, or discuss the opportunity of buying it and, and just see what they say there. And then I just gauge it, and then I go a different direction based on their reaction. So we'll do two different reactions. Okay. I'm never going to sell this. <laughs> I've heard that one a lot. <laughs> Uh, I'm never going to sell this. Okay, sure. Uh, <laughs> I've heard that a lot. And I bought a lot of farms that people said they'd never sell. I'd say, okay, yep, I totally understand that. Um, I, you know, I realize you're never going to sell it. If something does change, if whatever, uh, something changes, please let me know. Now, the other angle to that I do play is... I'm a little bit, I'm just going to admit it, I'm a little bit of a salesman. So I will just say, hey, okay, you're not going to sell it. But can I throw a proposal at you? Mm. And they say, what? And they always say, yeah. Say, what if, you know, what if I gave you enough for this ground where you could buy, you know, let's just say. Twice as much, another third. Yeah, whatever, whatever. You You could take this money. And hey, I do know you have some kids an hour away. What if you could get a farm, bigger farm that's nicer than this, closer to them? And I just find out whatever that is. You know, I'll know they have a kid up in, 
you know, Western Iowa. What if you could get something by them? Or, you know, I know, always knowing you wanted to do this. Or, you know, you're really old. You love this farm. That's why you're never going to sell it. You know, you, you're saying, you know, statistically you got 20 years left. What if I let you still use it? What if I let you do that? And I just come up with whatever it is. Whatever it is, I just figure it out. Mm -hmm. And then I just prod and just say, I'll let you still use it. And sometimes they're like, you'd let me still come out here? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Really? Just not November. Yeah, not November. <laughs> and I have to be with you, and you're going to wear an ankle bracelet. <laughs> GPS. Check in, check out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you could still use it. And a lot, a lot of these people, you know, they're not hunters or something. They're like, well, I do like taking a little nature walk, or I want to come back here. I, I want to stay in this house, or whatever it is. Whatever the objection is, figure, figure out it out. Yeah. And then figure out a solution. Yeah. Really simple. It sounds It's not simple, because people can't figure it out 99% of the time. But you just got to have that dialogue and, and let the conversation lead you. And you got to do your investigation and understand their hot buttons and understand their life a little bit. And then just don't push them too hard because that, that will just turn them off. Yeah. Don't push them too hard. So the other one is, you know, maybe, you know, we kicked it around, but we're really not sure. We're not in a hurry. What do you say to that person? I say, I have a briefcase in the car. <laughs> With $100 bills. I have an attorney sitting in the driver's seat with the <laughs> prepared documents. We just need signatures here and here. No, the person who um, has thought about it, um, then we pursue it quickly. Uh -huh. And just, I push them as fast, and I retract if I'm like, okay, I'm pushing them too hard right now. Okay, you're willing to sell, or you, you've thought about selling. You know, what would you like? Do you want me to... And I'll just be straight with them. I'm like, do you want me to throw out a figure to you in the terms? Um, and, you know, and I'll just, I usually just preface it like this. Um, whatever your situation is, pref unique to me, I would say something unique like this. Um, all right, if, I, you know, if we could work something out, I'd just let you know. Uh, I would have no contingencies. It would be, quote, unquote, a cash sale. Uh, nothing would fall through. Um, the, the whenever you want to close on it would be flexible. However you want to do it would be flexible. Um, any flexibility I can give you on my end, I'm willing to do it. So you just tell me what you would need to, to make this comfortable. And then they're like, well, you know, what do you think in per acre? And then if they say, what do you think of per acre? I generally, this is off the cuff here, but I'd be like, do you have a price in mind? And I'm not trying to play a game. I'm not. I mean, I'd like them to throw out a figure before I would, but I, I'm willing to throw out a figure. Um, and sometimes be ready to be shocked, and then you and then you go, okay, you know that price is going to come way too high, or it's going to be fair, or it's going to be low. Uh, and a lot, ninety nine percent of the time, that figure is going to be too high. Yeah. So I'll say, you know, do you have a figure? Yeah. And let's just say I want to buy it for five thousand an acre. Let's just say that was market. Market was five. And like, yeah, we, you know, we're thinking 10. I don't get frazzled by that. I don't get, I don't get like mad. Some people get mad and they get insulted. It's just like if somebody was asking five and I offered a thousand bucks, people would get insulted. Sure. They'd get ticked off. Well, when they tell me 10 and, and it's worth five, I don't get insulted. I don't get angry, even though most people, a lot of people would. And then I just say, all right, I've, and I just explain to them, I've done this a lot. I have bought. All the other neighbors uh, that came for sale, Bobby, that, you know, remember Bobby and remember Susie over here? I bought them. They, we, they were very happy with what I paid them, and they were. Um, I will pay you more than market value, 
okay? And this is what I say. I will pay you more than market value. Not like double, though. Here's what market value is, and here's why. And here's comps from the area, and I'll give them comps, and I'll say, listen, this is public information. You can go look all this up. Here's the comps. And then, you know, you don't need to take, and I tell them, like, you don't need to take my word for it. Uh, here's, you know, there's five different appraisals, appraisers that work in this area. If you want to call them or if you want to hire them for an appraisal, do it. Do your own homework. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, push you into this or tell you that I'm right. I want you to verify it. I want you to be happy and comfortable. Um, so I'm, I, I'm very, very honest with these people. And I'm like, go get your own opinions here. And if they call an appraiser and like, hey, I, I'm trying to get 10 grand for my farm and the market's five, the appraiser is going to be like, no, no, it's, yeah. not, it's not worth 10. It's worth five. And they're going to, you know, they're just going to bring them to planet Earth. And I'm not trying to say, you know, it's worth five um, and I'm trying to buy it for two. I'm not. And if you're that guy, I mean, I don't have very good advice for you other than, you know, I mean, if you can do it, whatever, you know, whatever. I, I just don't try and do that. Okay. I just want to pay market value. And I, I generally like to pay them a little over market value. And then, and then the last thing I would add to that, when I say I'm paying you a little over market value, that also means... I'm paying you more than market value, and you don't have to pay a realtor. You don't have to pay a realtor. So that's going to save you, you know, whatever, 5 6 7%. Uh, so you're actually making even more because of that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of strategy to this. A lot. Well, I, yeah, there's some good tangible advice in there, I think, for sure. And I think, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think th that's a really good starting point. People just have to figure out how to handle the conversation based on their unique situation. Yep. Do you have any yeah, – we won't we, – I was going to say it. We'll get, we'll, we'll I can, we can do rapid fire. If you just want to fire it at me, I'll fire you an answer back. Well, what about like the, the, you're buying the neighbor because you have a dispute. Oh, uh, oh yeah. That's a whole can. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I, I know why you did skip past it. That's a, that's a tough one. Different day, different time. Yeah. There is an answer for that. We'll do that another time. So this is something that I think a lot of people get hung up on and I want your perspective. People think, and this is my perspective on it. People think they need to do a 1031 every time, no matter what, because that's what no is coached. That's what no. they're coaching. Explain no. that. That's just um, that's just doing things because that's the popular thing to do, and that's what was ingrained in me. Doesn't mean it's right. Uh it all depends on. I mean, some people's tax ramifications. It's so minimal in the big scheme of things. You know, if you're in the highest tax bracket and you're doing a short-term capital gain, and you're like, yeah, I got to pay more in short term. And I'm at the highest tax bracket, and it's a huge sum of money. Okay, um, I can understand that. And that's also with the intention of, you know, I do need to, quote, unquote, I need to buy something else, sure. But if you're, you know, there's a point where people are going to check out of the ground. But if you're the guy that's just going to continue to buy the ground, I guess, I guess, ideally, sure, if you had a perfect match, uh, that that it makes sense to ten thirty one into fine. That's clearly a case. What where I would say, yeah, definitely ten thirty one. But a lot of times it ends up being just a small percentage because it's long term capital gains. You've held it for longer than a year, and you're not in that high tax bracket. You've got so many other deductions that I've had guys that get hung up on five and ten thousand dollars on tax liability. I'm like, listen. Your tax liability is five and ten thousand dollars because you made a profit, right. but it's such a small portion of the deal to go bully you into buying something that's two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Like yeah, we're talking to yeah, and and you know, a lot of times, if you can't, if you have to buy something that's kind of overpriced in that, and you cash out, 
you pay stuff off or whatever it is. Um, and then you just, you find the right deal later that didn't work align up with the 1031. Uh, you know, you'll make that difference up because you got a better buy later. So just don't get caught up in those smaller percentages. You know, if it ends up being like a massive tax ramification that you almost can't stomach to pay, sure. I mean, fight tooth and nail to 1031 exchange into that. Uh, but other times I would let it slide. I wouldn't let it bother me. Um, I would really understand my tax ramifications and I would be just fine writing some checks uh, to good old Biden. Uh, so it's spent wisely and well and you know, you're doing, you're, you're paying your fair share. You can just feel great about that. Uh, so just, just, just pay it. Uh -huh. There's a lot of times where I just pay it. Now, there's other times where I don't want to pay it. And there's other, there's other things you can do to not pay it. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk on the other side of that really quickly. But people are like, well, I got a 45-day window. Yeah, that's from the day you close. Mm -hmm. 45 days from the day you close. And that's to identify. Yes. Well, if, if you're worried about that time frame, don't let that hold you up on selling because just ask the guy buying your farm, the people buying your farm, hey, can we have a 60-day close? You know, six, six, yeah. 60 days, that's, that's not out of hand. Yeah. Even a 90-day close, ask for it. And I've done it where I'm like, okay, how about this? How about we do a 90-day close? You can have possession of the farm tomorrow. Go ahead. You give me a big earnest check. I know Once I know the deal is going to go through, you can use the farm. Just give me flexibility. Give me 90 days. So all of a sudden you have 90 plus, plus 45. That's a long time. That's a long time. Yeah. So I wouldn't be worried about that at all. Uh -huh. So just have a delayed closing if you need to. And I've bought things where, some, where I could be flexible. And somebody's asked me, like, could you be flexible when you close? I'm like, yeah, I'll be flexible. I get it. You know, I want to get along with the people. So I've been on both sides of that. And most people, especially when you dangle carrots, like you don't have to pay interest on it. You know, go use it. You don't even have to pay uh, interest on your mortgage. Go use the farm. Just be flexible on the closing day. It's yours. It's yeah. a done deal. I've never had somebody get caught up in that. And that buys you a lot more time. Yeah, that's an excellent point. There you guys have it. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you would like to and you enjoyed the podcast, leave a five-star written review. It would greatly help us reach some more people and help other people buy land and learn the process. And be sure to check out the Latitude giveaway. Until next time, see you guys.